When I was 17 years old, my dad said, uh, I no longer want to be a part of this family. And he split out on us. And um, I remember vividly, if you've been here for Redeemed for a while, you know the story a little bit. But I walked out to my back porch. There was a wooded area. And I sat on the step. And I just remember crying for about two hours, just um, releasing it. And what happened to me on that moment is these moments kind of give you a choice, right? And for me, I chose a cave moment, what I'm calling it, all right? I didn't choose the Lord in that moment. I, I ran away uh, from the Lord. And, and one of the things that's hard hard is that when you're in a room and you're preaching, you know many people have been slapped in the face, maybe even recently, right? And I was slapped in the face in that moment. And there are these moments, right, that all of us have to deal with. The moment where in our head, in our hearts, we believe the things of the Lord, right? But in the earthly sense, we don't know what's going on. Is everyone, is, am I in the right room here, all right? Our faith is present, but we're like, why is this happening to us? What is happening here? Our faith is present. We're doing all the right stuff. And yet we find ourselves with things just falling apart. And I, and I know there's a lot of people here that maybe are coming out of a season where things are falling apart. And there's a few of us in here that maybe we're right in the middle of things falling apart. And we're like, I know the promises of the Lord. I know that the Lord is good. And yet I'm still stuck here where everything's falling apart. And it's not easy to be here. And it's, if, you're, if you're in that space, I really am excited because you're in the right place. All right. Wow. Now I'm speaking to those that are feeling the pain the most. All right. And so I know that many people. People are uh, just going to process this, this message. And so my prayer is that you'll walk out of here with an actual playbook of what to happen when you're in what I'm calling these cave moments. This talk is going to give you directions because in the midst of your pain and sorrow and anxiety and anger, there's going to be some things that we're going to learn. We're, we're through the book of uh, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. We're looking at King David, all right? So King David is going to give us some leadership lessons. I, I feel like we are in a season as a church. If you can't feel it, for those that have been here for a long time, the Lord is moving in a, in a real powerful way, all right? And, and he's saying you're going to take some ground. And as he takes some ground, there's going to be people that have to stand up, and they're going to have to start leading. And as you lead, things are going to get more difficult, all right? And so we see that with King David's life, and we're going to see that there's these cave moments that he has. Now, when you're in a cave moment, one of the most challenging things about being in that moment is that it's the most difficult part of your faith journey. It's the most fragile part of your faith journey. This is where I see most people's faith begin to wander. For me, when my dad told me I'm splitting from the family, and I'm sitting there on the, uh, the back step, I chose the other path, right? It was fragile, and I chose to go. I did everything to numb the pain, to run away from the pain, to ignore the pain. And the Lord, and what we're going to see with King David, is that he's going to have cave moments, and he does the complete opposite of that, okay? But in today's world, there is a sense or a, a challenge of us wanting to run away or numb or not walk through the things that the Lord has for us. Is everyone on the same page? Amen. We're continuing to look at this, David's life, and we get a playbook of how to handle these, all right? If you remember, David is anointed by Samuel as king. 
All right. But this is in secret. No one knows this. Right. And so since that time, he's only killed the biggest Philistine, Goliath. Right. And then it says that he won battle after battle after battle. And so he becomes legendary and not 2024 legendary where it's like if you do the right TikTok post, all of a sudden you're legendary. This dude is slaying dudes. All right. This guy is getting stuff done. And so we see that life is pretty good for David, and you're walking around and everyone knows you, and then things go south for the dude, all right? So 1 Samuel 18, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all their towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and with lyres. So what's happening here is that there was a custom that Israelite women, as men would come back from battle, the women would work on songs. And so these songs would commemorate what had just happened in the battle. And so these women are writing a song. And here's what they sing. As they dance, they sing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands, all right? You can see where this is going, right? These like, Saul did some really good stuff. David, just a little bit better due to the fact of like tens of thousands of people, okay? Have you ever had this? And so we see this. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre. And as he, as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him. Twice, all right? So things have changed for David in an instant, all right? We are in the royal house. That's the setting that we are in. There's a closeness between these two men. Often, the closest people to us can do the most damage to us. Can I get an amen? This is what's happening in this moment. David is close to Saul. He has served Saul, and Saul is turning on him quickly. And so we see this. It can be translated that this tormenting spirit comes forcefully on Saul, not once, but twice. Saul hurls a spear at David. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. All right. Someone comes up here and hurls a spear at me. I'm not standing for a second time. I'm ducking out. All right. Listen, I'm not the biggest dude in the world. We have a security team for a reason. All right. Don't worry. If you try something, I got some guys sitting right here that you don't know about. All right. But I'm not. If the spear goes past me and hits this wall, I'm not waiting for that dude to take the spear out and get a second chance on me. Right. I'm ducking faster than all you. All right. Everyone's like, I'm finding a different church where the pastor's brave, but I'm just being honest. <laughs> Luckily, we have that security team for that, but there's a willingness for David to remain in the room. And what we see is it's fascinating that to fully grasp the rest of the story, you have to understand that how deeply close David was to Saul. And this is the one that's doing it to him. He's staying in the room because he has a deep loyalty. And in this loyalty, he's saying, 
I'm willing. I understand I'm willing to, whatever you're going through right now, I'm going to work it out with you. I'm willing to figure this out with you. But ultimately, he has to duck out, all right? And he enters into some of the, the, the darkest time of David's life. And what we're going to see is that Saul is going to hunt David for about four years, it's believed, maybe even more. But he is on the run from a dude that wants to kill him. And so Saul is going to go after David. And sometimes in these cave moments, we find ourselves there for years, okay? This is one of those messages where I'm like, I, I trust the Lord that he's going to take it from you. I trust the Lord that things are going to move. But if this is a man after God's own heart, if this is David and he's running for four years, I think many of us have to walk through some painful stuff for years, right? It's an amazing thing. Because in these moments, we're going to, there's a bunch of stories. I, I recommend you reading them. There's a bunch of stories of him in the caves or in, in, in these moments. But one of the things that's interesting is that we actually have David's writings from when he's in these moments. So we actually know the, the Psalms that he probably wrote while he's on the run. And so what we're going to see is as we read those Psalms next to the moments that he's happening, happening to him, we'll begin to get a playbook of how when we are in those moments, we can walk through it because this is David, a man after God's own heart. And we get to see what he does with his emotions. We get to see what he does in the situations. We get to see what he does with his fears. And so we're going to get to see exactly how he processes them, okay? 1 Samuel 19, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. Alright, so there's, a, there's a, a, a clear take his life, alright? But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David. If you remember, yes, last, uh, last week we talked about this. Jonathan is Saul's son, and so he's going to protect him. And, and he warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go in hiding and stay there. So throughout the next couple chapters, it's really fascinating because the author of this book is going to lay out in great detail Saul hunting David. All right? So this is important to the story. These four years are well documented. And here we see an intertwining again that's happening. Saul's son and then his, his daughter who was given to, uh, to David in marriage is going to protect David. All right? And so we're going to see he, David's now part of the family. Once more, war broke out and David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in the house with his spear in his hand while David was playing the lyre. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with the spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good in his escape. Saul sent, to, uh, sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning, all right? So this is what's happening, all right? So he's, he's at his house, and his house is surrounded. But Michal, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michal let David down through a window, and he fled and escaped. Then Michal took an idol and laid it on the bed, covering it with a garment, and putting some goat's hair on at the head. When Saul sent the men to capture David, Michal said, he is ill. Then Saul sent the men back to see David and told him, bring him up to me in his bed so I may kill him. 
But when the men entered, there was an idol on the bed, and at the head was some goat's hair. Saul said to Michal, Why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away to the, so that, that he escaped? Michal told him, He said to me, Let me get away. Why should I kill you? When David had fled and made his escape, he sent to Samuel at Ramah and told him all Saul had done for him. Then he and Samuel went to Nioth and stayed there. Okay, so he's officially on the run. David is officially on the run. He's out and about, and he once again finds himself in the royal house, and he's going to get killed again. But now Saul sends people to surround his house. So the, the plan is in action. And we see in this incident that David actually is believed to have written Psalm 59, all right? So on Psalm 59, what can we learn from this psalm? Let's read it. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. See how they lie and wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, Lord. I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. This is David's prayer journal. He's writing this. This is what happens to him, and then he's writing this, okay? And what we see, he says these bloodthirsty men are laying in wait. He, he talks exactly what's going on. And what we see from this first part of the psalm is that you need to be honest with yourself and with God about the situation that you are in, all right? When we enter these cave moments, we have to be honest with God. He already knows what's going on, but also honest with ourselves about the situations that we find ourselves in. And we see over and over again, David is honest with himself and God about where he is at. Here's the challenge. Many of us try to avoid situations. I am an avoider at all costs. Yeah, I got a couple hands. I love that. I'm an avoider at all costs. Many of us try to avoid situations. Many of us try to lessen the situations in our lives. Many of us try to numb the pain or run away from the fear. And what we see is that David does not. He lays out exactly what is happening. He's brutally honest. The people are attacking me. There is evil coming on my life. There are fierce men who are conspiring. And what else do we see? He has to recognize that even though this is not my fault, this is what is happening. This is a reality. Again, this, hopefully this is not a time where there's dudes waiting in your bushes for when you walk out to kill you, all right? But there's moments that we have to do. There are moments where we did not do anything wrong, and yet we find ourselves in these situations. David, a man after God's own heart, life was not easy. One of the challenges that we have, we have to be honest here, life is not going to be easy. If I wanted to grow a church, I would say life is going to be easy when you follow the Lord. Here's a news flash. When you, even when you follow the Lord, life is not easy. Can I get an amen in the house? Amen. There's a great lie in our society, and this is why I bring up this point. There's a great lie in our society that if we have the right thoughts, if we just adopt certain values, life is going to be butterflies and rainbows, okay? That is the challenge that we have, all right? What that leads to is us running away from every pain and challenge and situations that we find ourselves in. We're, we're about to be a generation that's not ready to face head-on the situations we have, but run away and make them worse, okay? 
And what we see is the challenges with that line of thinking. When things start to go south, we don't know how to deal with things, all right? We don't know how to deal with things. But David is honest with God and he's honest with himself about the situations that we have. He's very clear in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your fear, the greatest gift is there for you. And that greatest gift is that with the God of the universe, you get to be completely honest with. You get to be completely honest about the situation that you are in, and he's going to take it because when we're honest with ourselves and we're honest with God, things begin to change, all right? Psalm 59, keep going. Arise to help me. Look on my plight. You, Lord God Almighty, you who are the God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Show no mercy to the wicked traitors, but you laugh at them, Lord. You scoff at all those nations. You are my strength. I watch over you. you. I watch for you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. Broad, David begins to broaden his thoughts, okay? He, he begins to say this, I, I know who God is, and he can assert with confidence, this is a God who literally laughs at the dudes that are sitting there in the bushes trying to kill me, all right? He reminds himself of who God is. In the midst of everything going on, we have to remind yourself of who God is during your request. So you get to be honest first with the situation that you're in, honest with God, and then you have to remind yourself of who God is in the middle of it. David recognizes that all of his efforts, anything that he tries to do, would be completely futile compared to the will of God. And so he says this, is that God is his strength, God is his power, that only God can stay, save, and that God is his stability. And when he uses this fortress, this word fortress is either a high wall or it's a fortress built into rock. So he's like, you are my fortress. You are like uh, me getting be hid in, in strong rocks that are surrounding me so that nobody can touch me, alright? And then, the most important thing, what's our responsibility in the middle of this? Let's keep reading. But I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love, for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. You are my strength. I sing praises to you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. In the midst of your darkest days, listen, I, I understand who I am, and I understand that I can be annoying when you're in your dark days, all right? I've been called this week twice the Energizer Bunny. I understand, all right? And so I come in hot and heavy on people really, really quick, all right? And I understand that I have, the, I'm, I'm bouncing, I'm joy and full and all that stuff, but I will tell you, in the midst of your darkest day, you have a weapon that you got to pull out, all right? And so what's your role with this? Number one is worship. Number one is worship, right? You're honest with God, right? You understand who God is. And then you have a weapon, which is worship, right? It says David sang of God's strength. He sang of his love. He sang praises. In the middle of it all, he sings praises to God. Now, this is why worship is such a critical part for this church, all right? I will not back down on this, that we worship together. Because when we worship, 
God is not impressed with our songs. I'm just going to be completely honest with you. I do not care if this team messes up at all. Some people will leave. Some people will say, you know what? I don't like the songs they pick. I, I don't like how loud it is. I don't, I don't like uh, that Kurt screaming out of tune and bouncing around too much, right? And, and that's all fine. But if you have that thought, you're completely missing worship. Because in your darkest days, in your darkest uh, moments, you are doing something to your soul, all right? David's on the run, and he's like, well, I worship. I, I'm in my darkest place that I could be, and I need something to remind me. And so he worships, all right? I don't care about any of the stuff that happens here. I'm sorry, I know Sue's and the team, like, I, I mean that. I, I, I say, pursue the Lord up here. What I care about, what I care about is that many of you came in worn down and broke down and at the end of your rope, all right? And what we see is that when we come together and we sing praises, it does something to our souls. Do you feel that? Man, I was... I wrote in my notes, this is when everything goes and everyone stands up and cheers. Uh, I just, yeah, there you go. Thank you. I, I, I don't mean to make light of it. I, I mean that this will be a house that even if it's me and Sue's playing the guitar and everyone else leads, we will worship in this house and we'll worship with our whole souls because it does something to us, all right? Yes. David is singing on the run. That's what's happening. On the run, he's singing. He's praising. He's praising while some of the best soldiers in the world are coming to hunt him. That's what's happening. Think about that. Your songs, your praise are actually war cries. They're war cries. And one of the challenges is with the church and anything is if that was real a battle and these were our war cries, the enemy would laugh at you. They'd be like, oh man, this, they do not understand what's happening, right? So we, we worship because it does something to our souls. Number two, what's your role within it? I say this over and over again. Remember, what do we see in verse 16? He says, you are my refuge in times of trouble. Meaning, he remembers all the time that God has come through for him since the beginning. All right? We see it throughout scriptures. There's a common theme within scriptures. One, the Lord says, remember what I've done for you. And then two, the people forget what the Lord's done for them. Right? And so it's the most important thing that we do. And we, we worship, but we also, in the times of our darkest moments, in the times when we're feeling pain. We remember how the Lord has come through for you. Hey, it's one of our greatest weapons. If you remember the promises of God and you remember what He has done for you. These are weapons that are in our arsenal for our darkest times, alright? These are things that we have. Let's look at one more story here. Kind of a wild story. 1 Samuel 21. That day, David fled from Saul and went to Akesh, king of Gath. But the servants of Akesh said to him, Ah, isn't this David the king of the, of the land? He, he's got a reputation, all right? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid. 
of Akesh, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gates and letting saliva run down his beard. <laughs> it's a weird story, I know. Akesh said to his servants, look at the man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I, uh, am I so short of a madman that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men with him. So we find David now actually in a cave. He's, in a, he's having an actual cave moment. And that's why I use this word cave moment. Remember, David is supposed to be the king. And so being in a cave must have been brutal, right? I have been in a cave once in my life. I will never go back into a cave. How many people have been into a cave? A cave is no joke, all right? It's wet. It's dark. It's stinky. Well, it's not stinky, but it, it kind of feels musty, right? And it's hard. This is who, where King David is, all right? This is where his life has come down to. This is a low for David, I would imagine. When you're living in a cave, this is a low. Not only that, but all he has left is his family coming to visit him and 400 men, right? And 400 men sounds great. I love 400 men in here. But what we see is there are 400 of the indebted society and the down, disheartened people, all right? So David's not looking like a king, am I right? He's not looking like the promises of God. He's not looking like what the Lord has said, this is who, what your life's going to look like. He's like, this is all I have. And in those cave moments, each of us will look around and we might do inventory and we might be like, this is it, but what about all the promises? What about all that the Lord has said about us? And, and yet we find ourselves, this is what we have left. And in this situation, we actually see he writes three psalms. There's three different psalms that he writes. First, we see this. Trust him to deliver you from your fears first. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. I think it's interesting. He starts again by praising. And we see this. He, during his time of, in front of the king, it said he was very much afraid in that moment, all right? And so David, very much afraid, knows that fear is building up. When you are in these moments, I am telling you, fear will build up in you, all right? Many times in our cave moments, Fear becomes our driving factor. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had where you, if you really, really look at it, your life is being motivated by fear more than the promises of God? When you're at the lowest, oftentimes fear begins to creep up and is building up in us. And so he starts with this, Lord, deliver me from my fear. All right. In Psalm 56, we see the same thing. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Fear is a reality for us in this moment. But he doesn't embrace fear. One of the challenges in, the, in our society is that we are more and more embracing fear 
more than we are embracing the promises of God, all right? And we're not even aware of it, I think, oftentimes. And so we find ourselves with fear creeping up, and we allow it to happen to us. And we have to say this, Lord, I trust you that you are going to remove this fear from me first before I have to face anything again. Because if you walk into a situation where you're fearful, you're not walking into what God promised for you, all right? Psalm 34. Trust that the Lord will change your countenance. Psalm 34, 5. Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Those who look on the Lord, those who call on the Lord, their whole being changes. This is an amazing thing. I have found this in my life, and this is, this is one of those sensitive topics I want to be careful with. There's a lot of people carrying a lot of heavy stuff, and I don't want to make light of this moment, all right? This is powerful stuff, but it's also a challenge. The word used for radiant here is described as being joyfully satisfied. He will be, you will be joyfully satisfied in this moment. This dude is sitting on hard rock with a leaky cave, right? And it says, when I look to you, I become radiant, meaning I become joyfully satisfied. And what's amazing is this term is almost exclusively used when it's talking about response to the Lord's goodness, all right? So those who look to the Lord, their being begins to change. Their whole being begins to change. No matter how fearful you are, the Lord removed my fear, and now I look to you because I need my countenance to change, even in this moment, all right? And so it says you'll be radiant. And then it says you will not be put to shame. The word here is to be ashamed is this, this, this idea of misplacing your trust, meaning you've You've placed your trust somewhere else. So in this cave, when we trust in the Lord, we will never be put to shame. Then we, what we've all been waiting for. Trust in the Lord that He will handle the situation for you. Psalm 34. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers him. The Lord delights to deliver you. The Lord delights to deliver you. With God, there is no need to fear, even in our most desperate times, because the Lord loves to deliver. Psalm 57, I cry out to the God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. He will sin from heaven and save me. He will put to shame those who trample on me. God will send out His steadfast love and His faithfulness. In His cave moment, this is what He cries out. He cries out in confidence because God... God is love. Now this word love here, we've talked about it over and over again. It's the word hesed. What is that word? It's a word that in the English language, we don't even have a word to translate it. It's all-encompassing who God is. It's His love. It's His goodness. It's His faithfulness. It's His mercy. It's His loyalty. He rescues you out of the cave, out of his love and faithfulness, out of his hesed, out of who he is. He cannot help it but to deliver you because he has such love and so faithful to you. Amen. David fled Saul as an anointed king and he becomes a fugitive. 
And throughout it, I think he had to be struggling with this thought. Lord, where are you within this? I know your promises. I know who you are. I've done all the right stuff. You ever feel that? I've done all the right stuff. Where are you, Lord? And I think many of us wonder if the things of God in our lives are true. And you know, you're, you know the things that you're supposed to know, right? You know that God is supreme. You know that He is in heaven. You know that He is love. You know because of Jesus you have every spiritual blessing. You know that your sins are forgiven. You know that if you just believe that eternity is there for you, you know that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and yet on your dark, sleepless nights, when fear comes, or your health suffers, or your anxieties pop up, or you have career issues, your worry and your darkness begins to pop up. And there are moments where the gap between heaven and earth just seem too wide. And if you're in those moments, I'm telling you, follow David's example here. You know all the promises, but earthly stuff just comes and punches you in the face. And David says in his Psalms, as he's writing the prayer journal, start with being honest with yourself and being honest with God about the situation that you find yourself in. Don't run away from it. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't try to numb the pain. Instead, say, this is where I'm at, Lord. You know everything about me, but you know the situation where you're at, and I'm going to be fully present with what situation I'm at at the same time. And then remind yourself who God is. And then your soul's not going to want to. Everything in you is not going to want to. But you worship and you remind yourself who God is because you need your soul to have a war cry in the middle of it. And when we worship, when we praise, we begin to say, my soul is going to rise up in this moment. No matter what's happening, no matter how bad the cave is, my soul is going to rise up. And then he trusts God to take away his fears. He trusts God to change his being, his countenance, and trust God that he's ultimately going to save him, no matter how dark and how far it seems. In his prayer journal, what he's doing is he's positioning his spirit to be in alignment with God, even in the darkest moments. And my question is, in your darkest moment, what would your prayer journal look like? Because mine probably wouldn't look like King David. When I was 17 years old, I wish I would have heard this talk because my prayer journal would not have looked like David's prayer journal right there. It would have been blaming. It would have been anger. It would have been whatever. You fill in the blank. And the Lord's saying, I... Life was never promised to be easy. I think, the, I think when we read these psalms, when we look at David's life, it helps us to have a playbook of how to walk through some of the most painful moments that you and I are going to experience. And if there's anything that I could do as a pastor, if there's anything that I could do as a friend, if there's anything I could do just as someone who loves you, if you know this about Redeem, we're trying to build a family, I so desperately, like my kids, want to take all the pain and all the sorrow and all the hurt and all the situations that you don't know how to get yourself out of, I want to take that from you so badly, but that's not our place. Rather, it's to point each other to the Lord and say, we got to walk through this together. And so as a community, we have to think about what our personal prayer journals look like.
like, but we also have to think about how we walk people through these cave moments because they're going to come. And I wish I could protect you from all of them. I wish I could protect my kids. I wish I could protect my wife. I wish I could protect my family. I wish I could protect myself, but, but I can't. But what I know is that in my cave moments that I have people that will be walking alongside us. It's the most important because they're going to come. I'll have the worship team come up. I, I don't know if this, this is one of those moments where I could just stand up here like a fool, but I'm going to ask Marty and Marcy to come up and Dana, do you mind coming up myself? We're going to sing our last song. And uh, if anybody is currently just in a moment where they need prayer, this is the brave thing. We usually do it after service, but if you're just in a moment where you just need to uh, agree and to come and trust in the Lord or whatever it looks like, we're gonna come. We're gonna be up here to pray during the last song, and I just wanna. We just wanna join with you and walk through these steps of just praying with each other, because I know that many people are carrying burdens that they could not imagine, that we can't imagine right now, and this is a very vulnerable thing to do. I, I fully understand it. I'm I'm totally fine. I feel the Spirit just leading me to say, bring people to the altar to put their cave moments. Thank you, Jesus. There's power in your cave moments. There's actually, the Lord moves in your cave moments. Thank you, Jesus. So we're going to sing the last song. And if you need it, go ahead and stand up. If you need prayer over anything in your, in your life, I, I challenge you to come up here and, and just pray through it. Lord, you are so gracious to us. We know that you're transforming people's lives. And Lord, I know that there are people that are going through it today. And Lord, I know that you know them, that you see them, that you love them, that you are hesed. You can't not be mercy. You cannot not be goodness. You cannot not be faithful. You cannot not be loyal. You cannot not be loved. We thank you. We thank you for who you are. Anybody that's carrying something, Lord, we pray that you would just touch them closely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.